0: I love complete transparency. And so because of that, I just want to let you know that, man, I've been feeling kind of sick all week, you know, head cold and stuff like that. Anybody been dealing with any kind of sickness? It seems like if you're in Cincinnati right now, you're either coming out of or going into some type of a cold. My kid's school almost closed because they had so many absent people because of sicknesses going on. So... I, uh, I had a Bible study that we led last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and, uh, and I told them all, I was like, I, I have no idea what we talked about during class. I was in that, like, NyQuil head fog thing, you know what I mean? I was like, uh, I'm really sorry for if I said anything that, uh, that I shouldn't have, but, uh, but we made it through it, right? We, we, we pushed on, we made through, and, uh, and so here, here's my goal for today, all right? No coughing no sneezing, all right? If we can get through this message with no coughing and no sneezing, we'll be really, really good. But I feel, I feel so much better. I uh, appreciate uh, all the prayers that uh, maybe you're going to be sending up for me over the next few minutes. And so, uh, man, I'm really excited to be here today, but it's kind of bittersweet. It's bittersweet because this is our last week talking about Made for More in the sense of it being in our sermon series. Now, Made for More is going to be something that we're going to continue to talk about for the for the entire year, 2020. It's a big overarching theme that we have because we believe that the church is Made for More. But as we wrap up this series this week, as we kind of go into Ephesians chapter 6, What I want to do is kind of walk us through, walk us back through where we've been through this entire series. So we're going to put up on the screen all the different weeks that we've been in. And so in week one, when we came, this was January, first Sunday in January, we talked about this idea that Jesus is more. And then this week, what we really learned, what we really talked about is that sometimes every one of us are guilty of minimizing Jesus, we have this Jesus that's kind of like a small figurine, and we put him in our pocket, and when we need him, we pull him out. Almost like rubbing a bottle, hoping that a genie's going to come out. You know, when we're really in trouble, and yeah, we're going to pull out Jesus. But Jesus is so much more than that. God placed him over all things. Through him, all things were created. Jesus is more. And we talked about that. We talked about in week two the idea that we are made to be more. And in this, we all learned that we are these beautiful masterpieces created by God to fulfill this masterpiece mission. In week three, we talked about the idea that we are made to love more. And all of that comes from the idea that God loves us so much. Paul's prayer was that we might actually be able to understand just how much God loves us. And because God loves us so much, we are called to love others. And so we are made to love more. Week four, we talked about this idea that we were made to do more, but not just do anything and not just keep on adding things and adding things to our plate, but we were made to do more of the things that matter the most. And so how do we How do we really figure out what God calling me to do? How do I prioritize my life in a way that I'm doing things that really matter, and maybe doing less of the things that don't. Remember, that was the week Chris was here at Corrine, I was out at Ross, and we used these orange ping pong balls to represent all the things that fill our life up. And when we fill our life up with all these small things that don't really matter, there's no place to put our masterpiece mission in our life. And so we talked about this idea that we were made To do more of the things that matter the most. Last week, Rick challenged us that we were made to go more. Because hear us out. This Made for More series is about so much more than what happens inside this building. So much more than what happens just here inside of White Oak. Now we are made to go. Go out into our cities. Go out into our world and reach people for the gospel. We're made to go more. And today, we're going to talk about this idea that we are made to win more. As we look at each week that we've covered, and, and this week, the one that we're really going to be talking about winning more, one of the things that we've been talking about alongside of this is the assessment. And the assessment is a, is a free tool that we've made available to all of our White Oak people that you can take, And in taking it, you figure out and you find out what some of your spiritual gifts are, what some of your passions are, what your story is, and how you can use these different things to impact the kingdom of God. How these can help you with your more. And I encourage you, if you have not taken the assessment, go to the WCC.com, follow the instructions that you'll find there on the homepage, and take it. You know that over 200 individuals have created accounts to start taking the assessment with nearly 150 people already completing the assessment. We have people who are signing up for one-on-one coaching sessions. We have right now a, uh, a session where people are gathered together in a group and they're talking about their assessment and it is not too late for you to take an assessment and to sign up for a next step where you can either meet with a coach or meet with a group of people and talk about your more and how God has more in store for you. We want to be a place that equips you. You have a masterpiece mission that God wants you to accomplish, and we want to help, okay? And so I can't stress enough that we would love for you to take the assessment, go to the website if you haven't done so already. Today, we talk about this idea that the church, all of us, is made to win more. Now, I enjoy playing games, card games and board games. But I found that I don't really enjoy playing them with my wife. She loves playing too. And she loves to win. And I love to win. And I hate to lose. And you see the problem? Here's the problem. She wins a lot. And so mm, things turn ugly. And it's usually 100% on me. I'm a poor winner. I'm a poor loser. And uh, and she tends to win a lot, and so we have this problem. We have some friends who hang out with us, and, and they love playing games too. And, and they tease that they hate playing the game skip bow with me. Anybody ever play skip bow? It's a really easy game, and it's, you know you can kind of just have conversation and play it. But they hate when anybody suggests that we might play skip bow because when we play it, they know that we're going to play until a, I win at least once. All right. Uh so I wrote this message a week ago. But last night, just last night, my sons pulled out the skip bow deck and said, Come on, we're all gonna play, and so our entire family sat around a table and we played skip bow. I lasted one game. Because my wife, who was here in the first service, she won in like three rounds. She kept flipping over skip bow after skip bow and she went through her deck so fast and I was so mad that I just walked away I'm a poor sport and I don't like losing and so when we talk about this idea that we were made to win more we think about games and we think about sports maybe you watched the Super Bowl last week Uh, we talk about maybe things are going good for you and so maybe you use the phrase hey you know what I'm winning at life because things are going so well you know that when Ephesians was being written by Paul, and they heard the word win, it only had one context for them, and that was war. Today when we talk about being made to win more, this is no game. This is no contest. It's war. The problem is, is as Christians living in America, we don't really think about things that way. We don't recognize the fact that we are involved in spiritual warfare. We're blind to it. Our friends who serve in other countries who are Christians living in in less uh, populated places, they see the war all the time. Places where Christianity is less popular. There's a war going on all around us. And Jesus has proclaimed the victory. While we're even still in the midst of the battle, the church was made to win more. And today, in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, we're going to see how. And I love one of the phrases that Paul uses here. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, we've got some, but, but I encourage you, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. There's some Bibles that are in front of you. If you don't have one, we've got some at the hub. Uh, you can use your phone app if you want to. But Ephesians chapter 6, we want to start with verse 10. And so Paul is wrapping up his letter to the church in Ephesus. And we know that because he uses this big word. He says, "Finally," right? So he's kind of like landing the plane here. And so in Ephesians chapter chapter six, verse ten, he says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power." And I love that. I just love how Paul puts that. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine winning. All we see is defeat. All we see is failure. Paul tells us as he begins to wrap up his letter to his friends in Ephesus to be strong in the Lord. God possesses a mighty power. Let me ask you, do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is all powerful? Do you believe that all of your strength comes from him? Paul says, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his Mighty power Paul tells us that our strength comes from God not from ourselves, not from our friends not from our family Not from anywhere else, but our strength comes from God above We are engaged in a battle and the battle is for eternity and we get our strength from God So when you feel weak Where does your strength come from when you feel all alone? Where does your comfort come from when you feel like that you're not good enough? Where does your confidence come from when you feel like a failure? Where does your victory come from? We've been going to the wrong places. We've been tapping into the wrong sources. It's like running a race and you're dehydrated and you're, and you're just thirsty. And instead of reaching for what you need... You reach for some sugary soda or some, some sugared-down sports drink. When all along, what you really need is living water. right? We have access to this amazing source of power. We have access to this amazing source of refreshment. Something that really satisfies, but we, we settle for alternatives over and over again. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And his mighty power. Paul continues on in verse 11. He says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, we have an enemy, and it is the devil. Sometimes we think it's everybody else, but it's not. It is the devil. And Paul says, You need to prepare yourself. If you want a victory, if you want to, to be able to experience a victory, he says, you've got to be protected. He says, you've got to put this armor on so that you can stand up. So many of us don't recognize who the real enemy is. So many of us don't see that there's a real devil and that he is our enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see what he says there? We've been going around this whole time like we're at war with other people. We feel like the enemy is Susan in accounting. Or maybe some parent that, uh, that you don't get along with. Some neighbor some guy on the TV, somebody on Facebook that you don't agree with. And we fight these battles against brothers and sisters, against other people. But Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Can we agree today that we are not at war against other humans? That there is a real darkness out there, that there is a real evil out there. It's blinding people from the truth. It's taken slaves. But all people are created by and loved by God. Our fight is against the devil and evil and darkness. So in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul continues on, and he's going to tell us what it looks like for us to put this on, what it looks like, this protection that he's talking about. And so starting with verse 13, he continues on. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul's first instructions is to put it on. To prepare yourself for battle. Why? So that you may be able to stand your ground, so that you can stand firm. Let's take a look at what Paul tells us to put on. I'm going to put a list up on the screen. The first thing that he talks about is this belt of truth. It's the foundational piece of the armor. Everything in the armor either connects to it or attaches to it. And truth is the foundation of our faith. Without truth, we have nothing Without the truth that God is the creator. Without the truth that God is our power. Without the truth that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Truth is the anchor of our armor. The breastplate of righteousness. What I love about this is that it is physically something that you actually put on. And the word righteousness means that you are right with God. And here's the thing. This isn't something we get on our own. This isn't something that we can do on our own. I love what Jesus says. Jesus says that we are clothed with him. That we we put him on when we believe in Jesus. That we are clothed in Christ. And that's this visual image of us sliding this breastplate of righteousness on. It's not a righteousness that we get on our own. We're not righteous because of anything that we've done, but we're righteous because we put on this armor of Jesus. And so we have this breastplate that protects all of our vital organs, right? It is the thing that protects our heart. Our feet are fitted with the gospel of peace. It's kind of like the shoes of the outfit, if you will. And they're fitted with this gospel of peace, And what they allow us to do is they allow us to move swiftly. Always taking new ground, right? That we are perpetuating the gospel of peace out to people. We're taking the message of Jesus forward. The shield of faith, right? This picture of this big shield that we wave. And it is one of our best protections. And it is based on our faith in Jesus And the idea that we live a faithful life. The helmet of salvation is our mind, right? That we are saved because we know Jesus. And the sword of the spirit, our one main offensive weapon. And it is the word of God. That this is the thing that will help us defeat the evil one. Can you imagine... Paul, if you didn't know, was under house arrest in Rome while he is writing to his church friends in Ephesus. And so every day, Roman soldiers walk in and out of this place. And so he writes this letter and he paints this picture. We're going to put a slide up on the screen. And maybe this is what it would have looked like, right? I think this guy's got a spear, but you get the picture, right? It's a sword. And this is what these individual pieces maybe would have look like. When Paul writes this, there's two ways that he could have written this for us. One is that it could have been possessive when we think about these items on the list. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. That is that these items that he describes actually possess these attributes. That, that the belt possesses truth and when we put it on, we put on truth. And we pick up the shield, we put on faith. That's how he, one way he could have done it. But when he wrote it in the original language, he didn't write this in a possessive sense. He wrote it in a subjective sense. Now this is kind of detailed, but, but it's really, really important. And the subjective sense means that it's active. It's an action word. It takes all these things and it makes them an action and they're required. That means that, We gain the belt of truth when we live in truth. That we gain the shield of faith when we have faith and when we live out faithful lives. Do you understand? I don't just get faith because I pick up this shield. No, I get the shield because I have faith and because I live in faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? that it requires something from us, that, that this is something that we put into action, that when we live out the gospel of peace, that now we're equipped with these shoes that allow us to move nimbly through this place. And so when we put these into action, when we activate these attributes, truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace and faith and salvation and the word of God, when we activate them, then we have them. You know, I've been teaching about the armor of God for a long time. I was in student ministry for over 18 years before I came here. And, and so my entire life has been about teaching the Bible. And so, you know, I've done all the different things. When I was a kid, we would have had a flannel graph and you would have put a a soldier up on that thing. And then our teacher would have taken all these different pieces of the armor and they would have put them on each soldier. You know, the breastplate and the shield and the helmet. Maybe you grew up in a similar time and somebody would have done that. I would have given students cardboard and duct tape and told them to, to create each one of these pieces of the armor of God so that they could see and understand which each piece were. And all this time, living in my American kind of individualistic mindset, this is how I always pictured it. I always saw it as being me in that armor. And it was only always one soldier. And it was always about me. And that's just how we kind of operate. This soldier is not a mercenary. He's not a solo operative. He's part of a what? He's part of an army. And so maybe there's a better way to understand this armor of God. See, here in America, we individualize everything. We read everything that it's only about us. But look at this. This is a better depiction of what the armor of God is. Because we are the body of Christ. It is us, collectively. Right? Uh, There's this idea that that, that maybe I'm not, maybe I don't have faith right now. Uh, Maybe I'm doubting, and I don't have this shield, but you know what somebody next to me does? Somebody next to me comes alongside of me, and they are my protection. Paul says that we are the body of Christ, and much like... We all have different gifts and abilities. There's times where we lack different things. But when we are surrounded by brothers and sisters who have our back, this is how we get a victory. We are better together. We can't do this alone. We need each other. We were made to win more. Right? We were made to win more, and the only way that we are going to win this battle is that we win it together. The only way we win this battle is that we win it together. Look, Jesus is more, but the church, the church was made to be more. The church was made to love more. The church was made to do more. The church was made to go more. The church was made to win more. Capital C. Everyone, not just White Oak, but we're talking about Christians around the world waving the banner of Christ, putting on the armor of God, and we are an army who claims a victory. This battle that we're in, it isn't against flesh and blood. There's a real enemy out there. And his goal is to isolate and separate us. And so today I'm going to ask you to do something different. If you're a guest with us, we don't do this very often. This isn't something that's part of our everyday. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me, okay? Stand up. And this visual has been driving me crazy all week long. This idea that for, for my entire life, I've seen this soldier as one guy and I've missed, so missed this idea that it is an army. I'm just gonna just ask you to do me a favor. I'm gonna ask you to link arms with somebody. You might have to cross aisles. You might have to, but, but we need to be connected. And this is a visual representation That we are not alone. You may feel like you're alone. You may feel like that sometimes you're just in this by yourself, but look around you, church. We are an army, and we are better together. And so in a moment, we're going to sing this song. And while we're singing it, I just want you to be reflecting on the idea that Jesus has already claimed this victory for us. And we may feel like we're defeated. We, you may be going through some things that just really are, are just knocking you down and you feel like there is no hope. But Jesus Christ has won the battle. He is our hope and he is our victory. And evil will be defeated but it won't be defeated by one of us. It'll be defeated by all of us because you're not alone. You are not by yourself. We are in this together and we are made to win more. And we're not gonna win this battle alone. It's gonna take all of us.